if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Well, how about it? Nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, one step closer to the end of one of the worst recorded years, I believe, in American history, guided and led by the most incompetent president in the history of this glorious republic. It is the 29th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. And yeah, we're closer than ever to getting rid of this, flipping the page and hopefully hopefully having uh, a remarkable new start to a new year and perhaps uh, the rebirth of a democracy that has been, t- or excuse me, from our republic that has been taken from us. The rebirth of of the process by which we have made and become, made this country the greatest force for good in the history of human civilization. Yeah, that's what our goal is going to be for 2023. Will it be easy? Absolutely not. But the first thing that we must do is say goodbye to 2022. So we're closer than ever before now at uh, on this Thursday. So I appreciate you being with us. We're going to be discussing this and so much more. Uh, on Always Right Radio, I've got a couple of great guests. Dr. Curry Myers is going to be back with us to talk about crime in America. We're going to be talking about uh, uh, what 2022 looked like uh, in that regard. Uh, that was a big deal, obviously. Uh, America's criminologist, uh, Dr. Myers, uh, we've had on before, criminal justice advisor for Americans for Prosperity. And we're going to be talking about the year-end report on criminal justice, the violent crime data off the charts, attacks on the energy grid, the defund the police movement, looting, 
uh, illegals, fentanyl targeting officers. I mean, it's it's there's so much ground to cover there. We're going to be doing that conversation coming up in just a bit. And then uh, at what time? What else are we doing this morning? Do we confirm? You know, we had uh, uh, we have Dr. Uh, Everett Piper, of course, confirmed for each and every Thursday at 1010. And Max Miller, oh, yeah, Max Miller we're working on for tomorrow. My apologies. I was thinking we had... Um, I was thinking we might have Max on this morning. We had a little bit of back and forth about that conversation last night. So Max Miller is going to be newly um, uh, sworn into Congress on Tuesday. We're going to try to get on tomorrow's program, as we will not be live on Monday celebrating the federal holiday, which is New Year's Day. Uh, that happens on Sunday. So 1010 Dr. Piper. And 1110 Dr. Curry Meyer is going to be joining us. In Hour 1, we are guest-free, and that means plenty of opportunities for you to discuss the top news of the day with me at 216-901-0945, Either one of those numbers is just fine. We want to get you up and on the radio. We want to look back at 2022. We're going to do that. We want to look ahead at 2023. We're going to do that, too. And I've got a lot of things uh, in store for both. Now, the first one that I have to deal with... And I simply must. You know what? Let's do our pledge first so that I'm not I'm uninterrupted in the monologue this morning. I do have a lot to get into here. So let's do our pledge. Patriots, start out this morning at 12 minutes after the hour of 9 by rising and facing the flag that you might have near you. Or the image of one in whatever capacity you do it. There's so many people with so many different uh, unique ideas and ways that they get a flag. Because they're not near a flag sometimes at this time of the day. But they'll put a picture of it on their home screen on their phone. Not all I got to do is pick up the phone and look at their screen. Uh, that's one way to do it. People put stickers at certain places. People take little mini flags on the little, uh, you know, the the size of the uh, the stick is like a cocktail uh, uh, stir stick or something. You know, put the little mini flags like that. Put them in the uh, in a in a line of sight for you. So however you do it, go ahead and face your flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us for our pledge of allegiance. If you are a believer. That restricting travel from a foreign nation under Donald Trump is xenophobic, but restricting travel from the same foreign nation under Joe Biden is patriotic and smart science. Well, then you are just a partisan left-wing hack who has no respect whatsoever for those stars or those stripes. As such, you may consider yourself exempted from the request to pledge your allegiance to them. Instead, you can take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. You'll be comfortable there. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, 914 now. Thanks so much for being with us as you get your day started today. So yesterday, the Biden administration, the White House, made a very interesting, not Biden himself, of course, he's on vacation in St. Croix, his entire career in the White House for the last two years has been spent on vacation. You know, it's kind of funny, we have pointed out how many days he has spent in Delaware versus the number of days he has spent in the White House doing his job constantly going home because he doesn't want to be in Washington. He doesn't want to do this job. He's in a he's in a pickle. But we talk about how uh, terrible it is that he is not on the job. But then we think about what he does when he is on the job, and we think, stay there. Go ahead, St. Croix, until you, uh, until you can't take it anymore. If you want to stay there for the next two years, that's okay. We can probably do a little bit better without you. But nonetheless... 
Biden is in St. Croix. He didn't make the statement. The White House made it on his behalf yesterday, and they announced that travelers from China must test negative for COVID-19 prior to coming to the United States. It's a policy that comes less than three years after candidate Joe Biden said Donald Trump's travel restrictions from China were an example of racism and xenophobia. Federal officials said yesterday the test requirement will begin January 5 and is necessary due to the lack of public data on China's effectiveness in monitoring COVID-19. Travelers from China, regardless of nationality, will show a negative test no more than two days prior to their flight, or they're not coming in. Oh, my goodness. Like I said, if memory serves, when President Trump instituted a very, very similar policy at the very beginning of COVID, after being told and informed correctly that the virus that we were all worried about originated in, I don't know, um, China. When he instituted a travel restriction from China, it was called a hate crime. Hate crime. It's a hate crime. Trump is clearly xenophobic and he is racist, and you know what he's going to do? He is going to be responsible for hate crimes against Asians all over this country. That's what's going to happen here. Donald Trump, by saying China is responsible for the leak of the the, uh, virus from the Wuhan laboratory, it's why we refer to it as the Wuhan flu or the China virus, because that's where it came from, in the same way we have referred to uh, uh, extraordinary numbers of viruses and epidemics and pandemics and other things uh, as uh, from their uh, country of origin for decades and decades and decades. When Donald Trump does it, it's, it's xenophobic. It's racist. He is going to just ramp up anti-Asian hatred in the United Hate States. Crime! Hate crimes! Going to rise. And they've been, they've, we, we were told that happened. We were told that happened all throughout 2020. We were told that happened in 2021, but it's not because of Joe Biden who took over in January 2021. It's because of what Trump said for the entire calendar year of 2020, that this is a China problem. And, of course, it was a China problem. It did originate in China with the able assistance, by the way, of funding granted by America's doctor. By Dr. Science himself, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who funded the gain-of-function research in Wuhan. But yes, this either is escaped unintentionally or accidentally from that lab, or it was released intentionally in order to create this worldwide chaos and, and subject the people of the world to the next step in one world government, to the next step in overarching tyranny where you don't have the right to decide what you do with your own health, with your own body. What you choose to do is no longer up to you. It is our choice. And Donald Trump said, hey, we're going to have to restrict uh, uh, people traveling to the United States from China for a temporary period of time. I think they said 90 days to start. And that was xenophobia, and that was racism, and Asians. And, you know, it's funny. They don't just say Chinese. 
They don't just say American Chinese or Chinese people visiting America are the ones who are going to be targeted for this, you know, blamed for this uh, Wuhan hate or for this uh, Wuhan uh, virus being 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 released in one way or another. No, no, no. They just say Asians all over America are going to suffer for, for this because, you know, Americans are too stupid and Americans are are unable to distinguish between Chinese and Vietnamese and Korean and Japanese and uh, Malaysian and Filipino and any other uh, locations in Asia. So they're just, you know, Asians, Asian-American hate crime is on the rise because Donald Trump said travel from China needs to be restricted because that's where the outbreak started. We don't want it to come here. We want to limit the ability for that virus to be spread here. So if you're coming here from China, we're going to have to say no, at least not right now, while we get a handle on this. That was racism. That was xenophobia. But the Biden administration now says you must show a negative test. A tra- What's that, a travel restriction? Before you can travel to the United States if you're coming from China. Now, Japan and India have established similar restrictions as China has loosened its zero-COVID lockdown policies in recent weeks. And China requires travelers from the U.S. to test negative. And so Biden feels comfortable saying the same thing. Uh, We have to limit uh, uh, the number of Chinese people who come here to those who test negative right before they arrive. Such restrictions under the Trump administration were deemed to be hateful, and we're going to lead to more and more hate crimes being treated or being uh, committed against Asian Americans. Yep, those. Trump in uh, January 2020 planned to restrict travel. After hours after that announcement, Biden on the campaign trail in Iowa said, and I quote, "This is no time for Donald Trump's record of hysterical xenophobia and fear mongering to lead the way instead of science." He said that on the campaign trail, and then later that same day, no, the next day, beg pardon, he used the exact same wording in a tweet. We need to lead the way with science, not Donald Trump's record of hysteria, xenophobia, and fear-mongering. Now, I'd like to draw a distinction here, if I may. In 2020, when President Trump, and this is very early in 2020, before we had had cases here in the United States, Nobody in the world knew what to do about or with um, the quote-unquote China virus. Nobody knew what to do with, the, they called it a coronavirus at that time, later to be named COVID-19, 19, which is interesting, by the way, because that would indicate that it actually started in 2019, not in 2020, which indicates that some other people knew what was happening before it ever happened. I don't want to get into all of that. I don't want to play conspiracy games, but I'm just pointing it out. They called it COVID-19, and they did that because they knew it began in 2019. But having said all of that, let's say the obvious here. At that time, nobody knew what in the hell was happening. Donald Trump took the prudent, responsible steps of saying, if there's a deadly virus that has been released in China one way or the other, and at that point in time, we could even say that, because it was, you know, uncertain, there were some who were blaming natural um, uh, spread of a virus from from animals to humans. Remember the theory of the bat 
a coronavirus-stricken bat was uh, killed and, and put into some soup in a Chinese wet market and all these others that were bitten by the bat and other animals uh, as well. Then those things were uh, you know obviously transferred to humans and humans got infected and so on and so forth. Whether you believed it was a bat or whether you believed it was the Chinese lab, it didn't matter, right? At that point in time, nobody knew what was going on and nobody knew what to do. What they did know is that this outbreak was in China and it wasn't in America. And President Trump said, we kind of like to keep it away from America, so let's keep the Chinese people away for now. Or not just Chinese people, people traveling to the United States from the nation of China, even if they're Americans, even if they're uh, you know other foreign nationals. If they're in China, they're exposed to that, let's keep that away from here for now. That was prudent. That was responsible. That was leadership. And Donald Trump was called a racist and a homophobe for it. Now, two and a half years later, almost three full years since the discovery of and the recognition of the coronavirus, the COVID-19 that they claim has killed over a million Americans and millions of people around the world. Now, after it has faded, after Joe Biden himself declared on 60 Minutes, just a couple of months ago, that the pandemic is over. Now Joe Biden, and everybody knows what it is. And they are trying to tell you that the vaccine will protect you against it. That the poison darts that they have been pushing from Pfizer and Moderna for the last two and a half years, that'll stop you from getting infected or from getting sick anyway. Now he says, by the way, no Chinese coming here. No one from China coming here without a negative test within two days of getting here. Where is the outcry? Where are the claims of xenophobia? Where are the fears? Where are the fears of, of hate crimes being committed against Asian Americans? Because now we're trying to say that Asians can't bring that here. The hypocrisy is so thick. The only thing worse than Biden saying now what Trump said two years ago and actually claiming that now it's valid, then it was a hate crime. The only thing worse is the non-curious media that simply refuses to even point this out. It's 925. The hypocrisy is so thick. It is just stifling. It is stifling. You can't even breathe with the way that they uh, treat these stories. All right, that's the start. That's the monologue. we got a lot more to get into this morning. I welcome your thoughts. We're guest-free in the first hour, as I said. Dr. Piper at the top of hour two. Then we'll be guest-free for another half hour. Then to Dr. Curry Myers. Then we'll be guest-free after that. So there's spots here. you got to pick your spots and hit them at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The Answer. In the age of unreason, always write radio with Bob France and the answer. Okay, 936. Good morning to you. Thanks for being with us. If you're on hold, please stay there. I'm coming to you. If you're not on hold, get there because I'm coming to you. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Don't forget, either one of those numbers will get you on the radio. Um, so I brought up President Trump from uh, from 2000, uh, or excuse me, from 2020, beg pardon, um, when, uh, when, when COVID first presented itself from China and the decisions he made and how Joe Biden condemned and called those things racist and xenophobic, and now Biden is doing the exact same thing two and a half years later, when we supposedly have a handle on it because it's over. That's hilarious. Uh, 
But speaking of President Trump, he was trying to differentiate himself from Joe Biden in a couple of other ways. Great story on Breitbart this morning. President Trump pledged he will never allow Social Security to be cut if elected to the White House for a second time. He also pledged that we will pull money from the Green New Deal, which he calls the Green New Hoax. By the way, he is spot on. And he also said the Republicans have to ease up on abortion a little bit. That's right. He said that Republicans fell into a trap and that they did not properly handle the abortion question going into the midterms. Those are some of the things President Trump said. I'm going to kind of get your views on these at 216-901-0945. He did the interview with Breitbart in early December, so you know, a couple of weeks, I guess we would say. Down in Miami, it is Trump National Doral Club. Uh, he said Social Security, which was developed as part of the New Deal by uh, FDR, as you remember after the Depression, is a very simple program, guarantees Americans who hit retirement age a certain income. Through the course of their lives, he said, people have come to rely upon this, and quote, we will protect it. It's a contract with the people. They go in, they work, they do, they put their blood, sweat, and tears into Social Security, and then you have a guy like Paul Ryan or others that want to destroy it. We have a contract. There are plenty of places we can take from where it's waste, not Social Security. So he did this, I think, for obvious reasons. There was part of the Democrat platform of lies going into the midterms that we just uh, you know, saw the disappointing results of. They tried to paint the Republicans because of things that have been said by Senator Rick Scott as the party that wants to destroy Social Security and Medicare. So President Trump, I think, did a very good job here of saying that is not the Republican Party and it will not be what happens if I'm in charge. That's a good thing. Then he went on to say, with something even better, he said, there are plenty of places we can take from where it's waste. Look at the Green New Deal nonsense. That's many times Social Security, meaning in terms of cost, and what they're doing with the Green New Deal. It's like throwing money out out the window. I'm all for environment. I'm an environmentalist in the truest sense. But the Green New Deal is the Green New Hoax. It's a hoax, he said. Then when they talk about Social Security, they're going to destroy Social Security so they can build more windmills all over the place that don't work. It's not going to happen with me. So good stuff in this interview from Trump. It's not making a ton of headlines because, well, it's December, uh, and there's no one else declared for the race. Even the incumbent Joe Biden hasn't declared his intention to run for a second term. He's the only guy in the race. So this isn't getting a ton of ton of coverage. It's not like it's a campaign stop, right? But I want to get to this last part that I find very important here. He blames the Republican Party going into uh, the midterms for handling the abortion question incorrectly. Quote, I think a lot of Republicans didn't handle the abortion question properly. I think if you don't have the three exceptions, it's almost impossible in most parts of the country to win. If you don't have three exceptions, I said to a very nice man running for governor of Pennsylvania, if you don't have three exceptions, you cannot win. Same thing with Tudor. She didn't have the three exceptions. I say this to the Republican Party. If you don't have the three exceptions because you know the Democrats are radical and they'll kill the baby at nine months or they'll kill the baby after the baby is born, okay, that's more radical. But you know a 15-, 16-week period of time, you have to have the three exceptions. If you don't have the three exceptions, you're destined to doom. So uh, he went on to say further that he believes both the Social Security issue and the abortion issue are rife with traps for Republicans laid by Democrats. He said, people do what they believe. If somebody really doesn't believe in the exceptions, which I wouldn't understand, rape, incest, and life of the mother, to me, that's pretty easy to believe in. But if somebody doesn't believe in it, then they have to follow their heart. But I don't think they're capable of being elected other than in certain areas. 
So I'm curious as to your feelings on that aspect. Particularly if you are MAGA, if you are uh, solidly behind President Trump and you're not interested in the DeSantis, the Tim Scott, the, you know, Christy Nome, the uh, Ted Cruz, anybody else who might be running in this thing by the time it gets all said and done, Mike Pompeo. If you are all a full-on supporter of the president, how do you feel about his stance that, yes, he is, of course, pro-life, but we must make exceptions for rape, incest, and, quote, life of the mother? Um, because that kind of, that kind of, that's a challenging position. And I know a lot of Republicans share it, it, but it's a challenging position. If you are pro-life and you believe life begins a conception, you don't have those exceptions included in your personal you know, credo as to what, what being pro-life really means. I'd like to know how you respond to that. 216-901-0945. I'm going to go to Berea. Sally is up first on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Sally. Hi, Bob. I do agree with the need for three exceptions. It would be nice if we could use starting at conception, but you're never going to get that through, and, and I think it helped us lose the election uh, by not having those uh, clarified and the reason I called um, was regarding the need for a New Year's resolution because I am so glad this hellish year will be ending soon. Ever since Biden took power, it felt like we have been trapped in a perverse purgatory. As a resolution, I think we should think of ways to outsmart and preempt the Dems in our messaging before they can twist the facts, which they're so good at. One of Many examples is that they were outraged that Governor Abbott sent illegals to the cold north on Christmas Eve. Now, we have relatives in Houston, Texas, Mm -hmm. who had temperatures in the teens, just like D.C., and their water pipes burst, and their hospitals and shelters are overflowing. So go, Governor Abbott. Let the sanctuary cities pitch in, and I hope you have a happy New Year's Eve. Well, thank thank you so much for that, uh, Sally, and the same to you. God bless you. Um, yeah, great points all the way around. Um, I know that it touched Houston. It's funny you have relatives there. I've got a lot of friends there. I still do radio in Houston, Texas, uh, filling in for uh, for uh, uh, a radio station down there that does news, and uh, and I enjoy always the opportunity to talk with the good people of Houston. And yeah, they suffered a lot of things uh, because you know they're generally speaking they're not prepared for those kind of things. If you buy a house in Texas, and if you know anything about Houston particularly in the summertime and even a lot of times into the winter, um, you got no thoughts ever about insulating pipes and insulating attics or anything of that nature because you're in the sweltering heat of, uh, of Houston. But uh, but you're right. Uh, when 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 freak things happen like this, uh, you know they're not prepared, and uh, and you know the infrastructure is uh, is is clearly an issue to the point. About preparation, uh, you know, I, I, I gotta say, um, we are, we are a country in terms of, well, I, 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 she touched it on so many points there, I don't want to mix them all together. So I, what I'll do is I'll take, uh, the time here, uh, and, uh, get our break, and I'm gonna come back, I'm gonna respond a little bit more to what, uh, Sally just had to say, and I want to bring you a couple of other news stories as we look back at 2022, forward to 2023, and I welcome more phone calls at 216-901-0945, right here on Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay. 
Okay, 949, coming right back to the phones. I did want to follow up on uh, Sally's call. Uh, I, I get a little brain cramp there, and I, she moved from conception. And that's the issue we started talking about is, you know, President Trump and the three exceptions uh, versus, uh, you know, life begins at conception. And she moved from that into the uh, story about purgatory and then the transferring of some of the uh, illegal migrants from uh, Texas uh, where sometimes they have the same problems as other places to Washington, D.C., go Governor Abbott. So she was right on all those. I just couldn't place them in my head right after she said it, and I didn't want to Kamala Harris my way through a word salad. So the time out was good for me as I was able to recall that. Two things in response. Conception, you're right. I know, and President Trump is right. It's hard to push for everything. It's hard to convince a divided population on the issue of abortion to go from abortion anytime, anywhere, for any reason, which is what the left wants, to no abortions anytime, anywhere, for any reason, because life begins at conception. Rape, incest, health of mother, doesn't matter. It's, 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 it's the whole Megillah. It's all or nothing. It's very hard to win if you go that way. I'm not suggesting we shouldn't go that way. I'm not suggesting we should sacrifice our principles and our core belief that every life has value and every life matters, whether it's the product of a horrific event like a rape or an act of incest. I'm not suggesting you change your values. I'm not changing mine. But I am suggesting that it's hard to win elections that way. That maybe if you want as a Republican to win the le- win elections on the abortion issue, as President Trump said, you know, don't let, don't let uh, 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 the perfect be the enemy of the good. We can't demand perfection on this because uh, we're not going to win enough elections. We might have to look and say, for now anyway, let's limit it to, you know, uh, in, in Ohio it's six weeks. I think the national proposal is 15 weeks, which is just shy of four months of of uh, of gestation. Um, and, and, and then, of course, you do make the exceptions if someone is raped and, and someone is um, uh, a victim of incest, et cetera. And the health of the mother, or the life of the mother, rather, has always been, that's not an issue. That's, that's, a, that's a trap, since President Trump was talking about traps set by the Democrats. That's a trap issue. Health, health of the mother is different. The states that try to propose abortion outlawed or restricted or whatever, except for health of the mother, are playing games. Health of the mother is their cop-out, because it's not about necessarily the, the birth causing a physical complication that's going to lead to the death of the mother or something of that nature. If they just leave it with the general, um, you know, every evergreen term health, that can mean mental health, too. And that could mean a mother just says, I don't want it anymore. My mental health is in at stake. I don't want to have the baby. Uh, so, you know, I know I'm seven months pregnant, and I know the baby can feel pain, and I know that's a really a baby, but I don't want it anymore. Health says, my mental health says, get it out of me. So that's where the health of the mother issue is. Is is That's a trap. Life of the mother has never been an issue. If there is a situation in a pregnancy, particularly in the delivery of a baby where the mother's life is in jeopardy, they do not have to say, too bad, die, mom, we've got to make sure this baby comes out. That is a decision, a risk, etc., cetera, uh, that families make. So life of the mother is very, very different than health of the mother. And as far as rape and exception, again, there are some things that people may just have to, um, for the time being, say, this is better than what we had before. We'll work on getting those out later on, too, with more science, with more, uh, you know, study on the issue. Maybe just more prayer. I don't know.
But uh, that's what President Trump was talking about. So thank you, Sally, for that. And then as far as the part about uh, you know the cold temperatures in Texas and sending the migrants to places like D.C., I agree. Don't make what did this idiot just say? Sorry about that. That's touching a soundboard that I didn't mean to touch. And no, I wasn't calling myself an idiot, nor was I calling President Trump one. I think, nor Sally. I think the point is a good one. Um, people can suffer in those temperatures. People can suffer in conditions in a lot of states. We shouldn't make all of the border state residents, uh, homeowners, and so on and so forth, suffer while the rest of the country doesn't have to endure millions upon millions of illegal aliens crossing a wide-open border as left that way by Joe Biden. Send them to the doorstep of the Democrats. I completely concur. So with that, I'll say thank you to Sally for the call, and now I want to move on. And we're going to go to, as I refresh without hitting my soundboard, to uh, Cleveland Heights. Roger, you're on AM 1420. The answer, Roger, thanks for your patience. Go right ahead. Hey, thank you, Bob. Um, and it's a, a great subject. You know, it was the midterms were so disappointing, and it makes me feel like the Republican Party is uh, performing much like the Cleveland Browns. And uh, well, I, I want to keep this uh as concise as possible. As a, uh, a, a person on, I, I consider myself center-right, when I, when I'm listening to Salem or our like stations and the topic is abortion and I'm hearing words murder, uh, baby killing, I tune out. And I've always have thought that the Republican Party goes too far in charged language and it turns so much of us uh, off, because if we're not at the same time talking about respite care for foster parents mm-hmm. um, and, for, and you know, forgetting about the kids after they're born and they're turned into the streets and uh, raised uh, by, in fatherless families, raised by the streets, and uh, rail on how much crime that is going on, I, all the while talking about killing the babies. I mean, we know what happens. Uh, when kids are born into fatherless families, they they wind up in the they plague the criminal justice system. It's probably ninety percent, if plus, that plague the uh, criminal justice system or come from fatherless families. Yeah, but, but what you're doing now, my friend, is is you're falling into the Democrat talking points or the the pro-choice, the pro-murder, and I know you hate that language talking point because guess what? If a one-year-old has his father walk out on him. And that one-year-old is now doomed to being raised by a single parent, raised by the streets, and so on and so forth. Would you advocate for uh, taking that child's life? Of course you wouldn't. Why does that change if the child is in the seventh month in utero uh, and is just uh, you know a few inches away from from air? You know, and that's called the nine inches of the birth canal. Why would the child on one side of the birth canal uh, be willing to be sacrificed so that they aren't raised by the streets? But the one-year-old, we would never think of such a thing. Well. When they uh, uh, and then when they're they're grown and they get a pistol in their hand and start killing people, I I don't know Mike, but I'm just saying I'm just Bob. telling you what people in the center right talk about or how they feel. So if we want to keep losing, keep talking about that. That's what I'm keep calling using the charge language. You wonder why we lose, and I'm telling you these are reasons why we perform like the Browns. Uh, I, have I love that, that analogy, by the way. That's a very good analogy. The Republican Party is very much Brownsian, and I don't disagree. And thank yeah. you for the call. And, and I understand your point about the language, too. But I'm not going to call something that it isn't or not call something that it is because the people 
who want to take the lives of those babies don't like the charged language. I'm sorry. I, 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 if we don't call murder murder, then what do you call it? It's not health care. Putting sharp instruments inside a woman, reaching up through her vagina into her womb and dissecting a, a living, breathing, yes, it's breathing amniotic fluid, but, but breathing human being that just happens to be on the other side of a birth canal as opposed to this side of it, uh, and, and tearing that child apart limb from limb as the, the, as the uh, 3 and 4D ultrasound that they're watching their work on shows the baby writhing in pain and, and, and recoiling and backing away from the instruments and then screaming as their pain-capable bodies are butchered, you, you might, it might be charged language to call that murder. But what else are you going to call it? Cessation of life? I, it's a murder. And I, and, I, and I realize you're right. It might cost people votes because they don't want to hear that. But I'm not going to not call it what it is. It's murder. And the fact that that child is on one side of the birth canal as opposed to the other, in my estimation, does not make it sac- able to be sacrificed. And it's and I know you mean well. I think you're on the right side. I really do, Roger. I just think there's some things here that that are that don't have easy answers. You know that, and I know that. And I and I don't and I believe you to be pro-life, and I believe you to be pro-Republican and pro-conservative. But I think there are some things we cannot lose the 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 messaging on. The messaging matters there. Let me get George in uh, real quick because he wants to talk about the abortion issue too. Real quick before the top of the hour. Hey, George, go ahead. Oh, hi. Yeah, I got several points. They're all with the abortion. The first one is I don't believe um, Trump's ever seen an actual abortion. He might have heard about it, but he's never seen it because he doesn't have enough passion against it. Second of all, he never even mentions anything how to reduce it, like by using advocating like preborn.org, who can reduce it by 85% by actually giving free ultrasounds and sonograms. Right. And then the third thing, you never hear him call out Planned Parenthood. Who that the former former uh, person was a top salesman, Abby Johnson, said that she never sh- you know showed the sonogram. That's how she got those high sales rewards. And then the fourth one, you talk about well, you know, um, what about the exception? Well, that's hard to say. If you have the person that has the organization save the one percent, which is the rape, you know, try to tell her that she's an attorney, and then she has a big database of all the people that have come out. You know, incest people and that. There's a lot of people yeah. out there that, that that are in there. So I just thought uh, your comment on any of these. I think you make good points, George, and thank you for that. Um, I, I I don't know that President Trump has not called out Planned Parenthood. Uh, I think that's a broad statement I wouldn't back right now. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I can't say that you're right. I think he has had uh, some some comments about Planned Parenthood in, uh, in, in, when he was president. Uh, but with respect to the exceptions, I also don't think he's talking about his own personal beliefs. I think he's talking about winning. He's talking about politics, that if you don't carve out the exceptions for rape, incest, and, and life of the mother, that you're going to lose. I think that's all he's saying. I don't think he's saying from his own value judgments that it's okay to to kill babies if they're born in those circumstances. He's just saying from a political perspective, you better be prepared for that. Thank you for the call. If you're on hold, stay on hold. But I am going to talk to Dr. Piper coming up on AM 1420, The Answer.
You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Nine minutes after 10 o'clock as our number two commences. Thanks so much for being with us on this Thursday, the 29th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. And yes, I will once again reiterate, we are one day closer to the end of the worst year that I can recall in my lifetime. You know, I've been bringing that up a few different times over the last few days uh, as 2022 draws to a close. And I mean, I've laid out a whole plethora of reasons why. And again, when I say that, it's... uh, not a personal thing. Everybody has their own personal worst year because of things that may happen to them or to their family and so on and so forth. But as it pertains to us as a country, as a culture, as people, uh, we are uh, wrapping up one of the worst years um, of lifetime, of my lifetime, at least at least for mine. And there are some 90-year-olds who say, oh, yeah, you didn't live through, you know, the Depression. Uh, you know, you didn't live through, you know, uh, uh, you know, the worst periods of World War II. You didn't experience. It's true. But I'm not 90. I'm also not 20. I'm in the middle. And uh, in my lifetime, this year of 2022 has been one to slam the door on uh, uh, on a Saturday night, on the 31st. Slam the door on it and do not ever look back again. Look only forward because what we are, uh, what we are shoving out uh, is something that is, uh, is legendary for its, uh, uh, for its negativity. It's just been that bad of a year. I was hoping we could perhaps salvage some of it by winning the red wave the red tsunami in november i would have felt a little bit better about the way 2022 ended but it didn't uh it ended uh it ended poorly there as well so uh we'll talk more about that after we talk to our guest our good friend dr everett piper is back with us for the final time in the cursed year of 2022 dr piper is a past university president a present uh weekly columnist for the Washington Times. He is also a best-selling author, a radio podcast host, and a new incoming commissioner in Osage County, Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, good morning. Good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. Uh, let me be the first. To, well, maybe I'm not the first, but Happy New Year. <laughs> yes, it, it cannot be any any worse than the, pre, the current year. So yes, let's look forward to that to that new year. Hey, hey, Dr. Piper, um. A couple of things. I, we're we're going to talk about your column, which kind of is a follow up a bit on uh, what we talked about last week in, in term about uh, uh, what child is this. But I also want to talk about something else you shared with me, which is just very apropos for the moment, uh, and that is um, uh, the feast of the Holy Innocents. Um, uh, the children mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter two, sixteen to eighteen, because you you kind of wanted to bring this up anyway, and it's just perfectly timed right now because of the subject I was just discussing with listeners last last segment. Uh, I was quoting from an, uh, an interview that President, former President Trump did with Breitbart um, earlier this month, and um, he talked about the losses, and he talked about what Republicans did wrong in terms of, you know, trying to... to to win that, you know, win win the majority in the Senate and to advance and have a bigger majority in the House and so forth. And he said one of the mistakes that they made was they approached abortion wrong, not necessarily from a personal moral standpoint, but from a political standpoint. If you want to win 
And if Republicans want to win and take control, they have to account for the three exceptions. They can't be hardliners and say, moment of conception, no exceptions. They have to account for rape, for incest, and for life, not health, but life of the mother. And so I was just asking some listeners about that, and um, there seems to be some varied opinions here, but the majority of them are saying, I think, while uh, morally... I believe life, if I'm pro-life, it's from conception and that's it. No exceptions for rape and incest. If we want to win elections, um, you can't be a hardliner like that. You have to give moderates a little bit of a reason to still vote for you, and that might be moderates on that issue. So since you wanted to talk about the uh, uh, holy innocence anyway and compare it to the innocence in the womb, your thoughts on that? Well, let me set the context and. Uh, you, as a faithful Catholic, may understand the Feast of the Holy Innocents better than a lot of my Protestant evangelical brothers and sisters, because your Church rightfully has guarded and protected the history of these um, of the Christian calendar, calendar more so than evangelicals. I've said before, you know, evangelicals come up with a new idea five minutes ago, and we chuck out 2,000 years of Church history of as if it doesn't matter, and shame on us. So the Feast of the Holy Innocents is the commemoration of the first martyrs of the Church, the children that were killed by Herod as the result of his anger over the birth of a new king of the Jews. When the wise men came to him and asked them, you know, where, where is this king of the Jews? We've been following his star. Herod was outraged. So you know the story. Everybody else knows the story. It's part of the Christmas narrative. Sure. But we can't forget that the Feast of the Holy Innocents is the massacre, the butchery of our children. And as we're talking about that, which some calendars put it on the 27th, some on the 28th, some on the 29th, I don't understand all that. Maybe you could tell me later on why. But the bottom line is we're celebrating, celebrating. we're commemorating the Feast of the Holy Innocents right now. And we need to recognize what we're doing in the United States of America is far worse than what Herod ever thought of doing. Um, if you grant, I did some research on this, Bob. Uh, right now, over the last 10 years, we're averaging about 900,000 abortions a year in the United States, and that's reported by the Guttmacher Institute, the Liberal Institute, as well as the CDC. So about 900,000 babies are killed a year in the United States. That's a fact. Okay, what percentage of those babies are aborted after 16 weeks of gestation? 4%. If my math is right, that's about 36, 37,000 babies are killed after 16 weeks. That's not a birth control issue. That's not a, oops, I don't want this child issue. Um, It's not an unplanned pregnancy issue, because you waited until 16 weeks to kill this kid. So this is something we need to attend to. So if you want to talk about incremental gains, I mean, we could save uh, 36,000, just short of 40,000 babies a year if we just said not after 16 weeks. What percentage are aborted after 21 weeks of viability? 1.3%. 1.3%. That's about 11,000, a little over 11,000 babies a year are aborted because we, we kill them after they're viable. So I am pro-life without apology, but I do believe in triage. If you remember the old um, sitcom MASH, they had a triage hospital, and they were very much pro-life. They wanted to save the life of every soldier that came into that MASH hospital, but they had to make triage decisions because some could be saved and some couldn't. They didn't just wash their hands of the whole thing and say, war is bad, war is evil, we're not going to do this. They made triage decisions because of the reality of a broken world in which they existed. 
And therefore, I think we need to have that conversation within the pro-life movement, too, and go into an incremental strategy where we're going to save a lot more than we would have otherwise because of the triage decision of let's talk about viability. Let's talk about after 16 weeks. Let's distinguish between those decisions and the decisions that we make um, immediately after pregnancy. I'm not saying that's right in any stretch of the imagination, but if we focused on the others, we would save more babies as a result, would be my argument. Yeah, and I think that's a fair one, because um, I'm like you, I'm pro-life without apology, but I, again, we cannot make perfect the enemy of the good. If we can do good, if we can find something that is better, and maybe, just maybe over the course of time, because it's taken a long time to get here, it's taken 50 years to get rid of Roe and allow this to at least go to the states and let the people have a more direct say with their state legislators, Um Maybe over the course of time, we can start to reduce that number a little bit as well in terms of, you know, maybe we're at 10 weeks or at 12 weeks or something of that nature until we work our way down and, and we, we change the culture. And that's what it should be about here, really, is changing the culture because too much of the culture right now does center on using birth control or, excuse me, using abortion as birth control. Um, that's why they went from safe, legal, and rare to any time without apology. Uh, at any time of gestation, without apology and without explanation, my body, my choice, the change in the culture has led us to where we are. We need to work on getting it back, and maybe that's um, an incremental thing, as you just say, rather than a than a whole you know shift from from one extreme to the other. Go ahead. And and another example of incrementalism in in fighting against uh, moral evil would be Wil- William Wilberforce and his battle against slavery in the 1700s in Great Britain. Without William Wilberforce's leadership, you could argue that it would have been decades before the slave trade was abolished. But the key here is he focused on the slave trade. Notice Wilberforce's first increment, his first foray in the battle, was not the abolition of everything. He took on the thing that he thought he could stop, and that was the trading of slaves. And then once that was stopped, they could go abolish slavery altogether. So... Wilberforce's incremental strategy to get rid of the evil of slavery was incremental. It wasn't all or nothing. Great point. Great point. Great analogy. Dr. Piper, um, I want to move on to something else here because uh, our time is going to be limited to probably two more subjects here. And this one I found interesting, especially since you uh, uh, correctly, I think, uh, made, a, made a comparison to uh, uh, an interview that you did uh, on Newsmax uh, this past week. Um, and we're talking about higher education here. And we're, well, we're talking about education, period. For those who haven't heard this story, Thomas Jefferson School for Science and Technology in Alexandria, Virginia, happens to be ranked by U.S. News and World Report the number one high school in America, the highest ranked high school in the nation. As you can imagine, there'll be some very high achievers coming out of that school. Well, several students who applied for the National Merit Scholarship, which is one of the highest honors that you can have and one of the best ways you can apply for scholarships at the next level, National Merit Scholarships are awarded to a very select few students every year, and some of them were at Thomas Jefferson. Problem is, the students were never made aware of their National Merit Awards, and thus they could not use them to receive potentially millions of dollars collectively in college scholarships. And the reason why, Dr. Piper, is the school district chose not to tell anybody they won because they didn't want anybody who didn't win to feel bad. Their policy is equity first, last, and always. It's all about equitable grading and making sure that everybody feels the same. I'll let you take it from there. 
they actually say in their policies that their priority is equitable outcomes. Now, that's nuts. That's just crazy. That means if I don't go to class and I don't study for the test or the quiz, and you do, it doesn't matter because they're going to give me an equitable grade to yours. That's not not even sane. That's terrible education. This is helicopter parenting and and trophy culture to the extreme, participation trophies. We're just going to give you the same grade, the same outcome as the kid who worked his tail off to get a national merit scholarship. Now, let's cover that issue very briefly. At my institution, we gave full ride to national merit scholars. Full ride. Now, let's just say in today's dollars, that's about $50,000 a year. That institution That principal, that superintendent, those people at Thomas Jefferson High School just stole at least a quarter of a million dollars from these kids by not telling them that they got the scholarships that they worked so hard for and indeed did earn. Now, why didn't the National Merit Organization itself contact the children and their parents? Because their policy is to let the schools know first because they want to give the schools the honor and the privilege of celebrating this accomplishment with the kids. And this school, rather than celebrating that, hid it from the kids and their parents, stole a quarter of a million dollars from each one of these kids, at least, maybe more, and all under the auspices of this crazy, nutty idea that it doesn't matter what you do, you deserve the same outcome as the guy who did twice as much, five times as much as you did, to earn a decent grade. I want this to read, is Marxism to the extreme. I want to read one line here that will kind of cap this, and then I want you to tell me about the UCLA story that you talked about on Newsmax, if you could. Uh, the director of student services commenting on this, Brandon Kosatka at the uh, Thomas Jefferson School, uh, declared that, quote, we want to recognize students for who they are as individuals, not focus on their achievements, end quote. I thought education was literally all about achievements. That's why we have a grading scale. That's the reason we have. That's how you move from one grade to the next and how you move on from one school to a higher level and so on and so forth. Your achievements are what it's supposed to be about. But we'll stop there. You want, I want you to tell me. Go ahead, Dr. Piper. Do you, do you want the engineer that was promoted on the basis of who he or she <laughs> is rather than his achievements designing the airplane that you're going to fly in this afternoon? Yeah, I, I, could say the same th- I could say th- the same thing about the pilot. How did you do in flight school? Eh, eh, it was or, about me as an individual, not how well I achieved. Or, or how about your heart surgeon? Or how about, just fill in the blank, any profession where expertise and knowledge is necessary in order to perform the task, which is almost every profession, these people, these idiots at this high school are saying that doesn't matter. It's crazy talk. It, it literally. I don't know how else. It's crazy talk. It makes no sense. And it's the... It's the consequence of abandoning the objective standard of truth as the goal of education. This stuff started in the 60s, and we're reaping the negative fruit of it today. Did you want to hit the UCLA story real quick about postmodernism? Sure, because it's exactly what I just said. You've got this professor emeritus at UCLA. His last name is Jacoby. He wrote a seminal document in the 1980s where he basically said, conservatives like me, uh, academic conservatives like me, who were saying, wait a second, we've got a problem. We're, we're teaching terrible ideas of post-modernity. We're teaching the kids that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you. We're teaching radical relativism in our schools, and that, that's going to bear negative fruit in our culture. Western civilization will be at risk if these chickens come home to roost. 
When I was saying that in the 80s and 90s, and when other you know, scholars and academics were saying the same thing, conservatives, few though they ha- may have been, but some were saying it, we were disparaged and we were basically told, oh, you're overreacting, that's hyperbole, that'll never happen. Jacoby was one of them who accused us of that. Now he's coming forward and he's saying, I was wrong. I was wrong. These negative ideas of progressivism and post-modernity, of radical relativism, of extreme nihilism are coming home to roost. We taught this garbage in our schools, and now it's permeating everywhere in our culture, from Google to Facebook to Twitter, throughout Congress and throughout our courts and throughout the streets and in our culture. He's admitting he was wrong. Good for him. The sad part is he admitted he was wrong, but he doesn't have a solution. The solution here is to recognize the classical goal of the academy is to teach truth and not prop up your opinion. Dr. Piper, uh, we obviously blew through our commercial break here, so what I do is, what I do have left is two minutes for you to talk about our final topic here, and uh, it's one I talked about with the audience yesterday. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis continuing to fight uh, on behalf of children. There was a Broward Center for the Performing Arts in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, organization that hosted part of the national tour for, quote, a drag queen Christmas, billed as a family-friendly drag queen show. Uh, according to events uh, covered by the Floridian newspaper, the uh, the program featured sexually provocative provocative content and expressions, uh, including language and lewd dances in front of the children. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis is not taking that and saying, "Well, it's uh, it's freedom, you know," and we support LGBTQ. And he said, "No." The Department of Business and Professional Regulation is aware of multiple complaints about a sexually explicit performance. The department is actively investigating the matter, including video footage and photographs. This will be referred to the Department of Law Enforcement in the state of Florida for potential criminal liability. I say about time, and you say what? Standing ovation for Ron DeSantis again. The guy has courage. He has spying. And I said on your show two weeks ago, I think, it's time to sue these people. It's time for conservative parents to sue these city councilors, the mayor, maybe even the local police for not enforcing the decency laws that you have on the books. When you have a bunch of men seductively dancing in front of five-year-olds in a public park, that is a violation of your community standards. And if they're not going to enforce it, if your mayor won't do anything about it, like in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, then sue him. Now, will you win in the court of law? I don't know, but you'll win in the court of public opinion like DeSantis is right now. Good for him. Dr. Everett Piper, uh, always appreciate your perspective. Great year of conversation and of wisdom that you've been able to drop on us uh, throughout 2022. I look forward to starting next year with you next Thursday and another great year of conversation. Thank you, Dr. Piper. All right. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. 1028 now. We'll take our time out here. We'll come back uh, after the bottom of the hour news. We'll have more open lines time for you. Our next guest isn't until 1110 when we talk to Dr. Curry Myers about the year 2022 in crime. Um, but your calls are next. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Get in line now. We'll get you right up. Coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France of the answer. 
1037 now. Good Thursday morning to you. Thanks again for being with us on Always Right Radio. Thanks to Dr. Everett Piper. Great conversation <clears throat> with Dr. Piper. I like I call him kind of, you know, jokingly, but it's not jo- a joke really. He's he's one of the generals in the culture war. He looks out for us from a cultural perspective, from a faith-based perspective, from uh, that which makes us conservative-minded people. And we are a center-right country. And that conservative conservatism has guided us. It has driven us, and it has protected us. And quite frankly, we have to work very, very hard now to protect it. Um, And Dr. Piper is a big part of that. And he's going to be a big part of that on this program in 2023 yet again. It's been two years now that he's been on with us every week. Uh, And uh, we're looking forward to that again. Coming up in about a half an hour at 1110, we're going to look back at 2022, the year in crime, the year-end report on criminal justice. Dr. Myers is a criminologist, university professor. We've had him on before. Uh, criminal justice advisor for Americans for Prosperity. We're going to talk about the 2022 violent crime data, the spike uh, in urban centers all over this country, which is directly applicable to the prosecutions being lax, the decisions by left-wing judges, uh, allowing people to go free without cash bail, allowing them to go free on very short and light sentences for very violent crimes, only to reoffend, only to uh, you know to victimize more people. It is a very dangerous situation we're in right now because this is, and you know, when I say I hate to politicize it, I I do, but I don't. I hate it because it sounds redundant and it sounds lazy when I say this is Joe Biden's America, but what else can you say? This is Joe Biden's America. It is what it is. And if you don't like hearing it, if you don't like the redundancy, then help us do something to change Joe Biden's America. Get rid of Joe Biden, his mentality, his supporters, his... uh, uh, like-minded uh, uh, legislators and, and, and so forth. You don't want to hear me talk about it anymore? Don't want to hear us talk about Biden's America? Get rid of Biden's America. Let's restore it to Americans' America. Yours and mine. TJ is in Cleveland on AM 1420. The answer, TJ, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Fire away. Yeah, you know, Bob, uh, that one call you had kind of made me, uh, gave me goosebumps. So uh, when your caller says, uh, it, he seemed to imply that, uh, Using abortion to fight crime. I mean, you know, that sounds like 1984 stuff to me. You know, doesn't it? You know, you know, TJ, I kind of got the same vibe. I didn't want to state it that directly. You know, when he said, you know, well, you know, if you allow these kids to be born and then allow them to grow up without dads, they're going to end up in the criminal justice system and they're going to pick up guns and they're going to kill people. So therefore, let's go ahead and wipe them out before they are born. That that is kind of where he was going, but I didn't want to make it as dramatic as that because I don't think his heart was in the wrong place. He's struggling to find what the answer can be, and I understand that. And I do understand the struggle because, you know, Bob, when it comes to abortion, I'm a hypocrite. You know, I'm in a situation in my life, I don't have to worry about it. You know, I mean, it's not going to affect me directly. But I do remember when I was 18 or 19, and if I had gotten a girl pregnant back then, and back in my time, you usually have to marry them. Now, when I was 18 or 19, I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to raise a kid. I very well may have been for an abortion back then. But now I can take a moral high ground because it doesn't really affect me. So, yeah, this is, it's a dilemma, you know, that everybody has to search their own soul with. And, and I do kind of agree with Dr. Piper on that. If we want to get this thing done, you've got to kind of do it in steps. You know, we can't think we're going to get this whole banana overnight. 
uh, you know, that old expression, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, and, and that's something I don't think we, we really should do. Well, you know, I concur, uh, TJ, and thank you, my friend, for the call. I appreciate, uh, appreciate that. Uh, Happy New Year to you. I think there's a couple of elements there. Um, when you were a teenager, 1920, you know, there was a lot less known, I believe, um, about the development, the gestation of a child. Um, I think a lot of people truly, literally believed that it was the, you know, the proverbial clump of cells. You're not killing a baby. You're just ending a pregnancy before it even gets started. It's a clump of cells. It's a blob of protoplasm. It's a, you know, it's a fetus, not a baby. And there was a lot less known about it than is known now. We know so much more about how early the development of a child is and, and that that heart is formed and beating and, indeed, uh, providing that child with the ability to grow as early as six weeks of age or six weeks of gestation. And we know so much more now. So I think it's a little hard. I don't, you say you called yourself a hypocrite. But I, but I think that when you're 18 or 19 and you're talking about the medical technology and the scientific technology of knowing exactly what we're dealing with then about a pregnancy compared to what we do now, it was very, very different. I don't think it's hypocritical. I, 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 I think today, um, uh, an 18 or a 19 year old or somebody, you know, a, a couple or a hookup leads to pregnancy. There is a lot more that you know. And to pretend you don't know is to literally intentionally cover your eyes and say, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to believe that that's a real baby that I'm about to, you know, whose, whose life I'm about to end. Um, there's so much more now than we knew, that we know now that we knew then. So I think that's, there's something to be said about medical technology and the knowledge of what a pregnancy is. And by the way, that previous caller, I believe, or maybe it was a different caller who said, you know the preborn campaign, and we do that every year. You know we we, we have the uh, preborn uh, folks on, and uh, they come on and talk about and, t- and take donations on how to provide free ultrasounds for uh, you know pregnant women or or unplanned pregnant women and and, and younger girls, um, and hopefully the fathers of those unborn babies as well, and let them see the ultrasounds because when they do, some eighty five percent of the time they say, "Oh my gosh, it is a baby." The technology shows them that it is a baby. I can't do that. We can't just reach in there and kill that because it's inconvenient for us. So I, I, I think there is a lot more now that, that you know gives us a reason to be more pro-life and be a little bit more stringent about it. However, I will also say in that other caller that TJ just referenced is just struggling to find an answer. And I get that. I am too. We cannot expect to be so hard-lined as to say no abortion under any circumstances for any reason, including rape and incest, and the mother might die if she delivers this baby. We can't do that and expect to get a majority of Americans to vote for us and our candidates because it's considered to be extreme. It's going from one extreme, which is what the left wants, which is abortion on demand, without apology, without explanation, just do it because I said so and it's my body, get the hell out of my way, get this thing out of me because it's my choice and you don't have a right to say a word about it. That's extreme. All the way up to the moment of birth, all the way up to, in some cases, and we heard the uh, doctor in, uh, the abortion doctor in uh, uh, in uh, Virginia, it's one of the reasons why Glenn Youngkin was, was elected because the abortion doctor in, in Virginia 
uh, was talking about the radical uh, idea of if a baby survives a botched abortion and the baby is born alive and breathing, they would set that child on a metal tray and the doctor would have a discussion with the mother about whether or not they want to start life-saving procedures on that child, which is now a living, breathing human being uh, that has just been birthed. And yeah, yeah, we'll kick it around. We'll talk to mom. If mom doesn't want us to do anything, we'll just let it sit there and die. And if mom says, okay, go ahead, save it, then the doctor will say, all right, we'll work on it. That's how grotesque, that's how extreme they are. Going from that extreme to the extreme of no abortions in any reason, for any reason, et cetera, is the other extreme, and it's too hard to get a populace to go with that. Even though we might believe in our moral heart of hearts that that is the correct thing to do because we're pro-life and pro-life begins at conception and so forth, um, we might have to take a step back and say, like President Trump said in that interview, that's what launched this conversation. He said, Republicans screwed up in the midterms by playing the hardcore abortion card or pro-life card in the wake of Roe v. Wade by saying uh, no, no abortions, no exceptions. He said we need to have the three exceptions and tell people that that there needs to be exceptions for rape, incest, and uh, when the life of the mother is on the line. And we also have to have a reasonable weak number of weeks in what we term to be um, viability or at least you know pain-capable and so forth. And the 15-week number seems to be a pretty good number. It's just shy of four months gestation. You know you're pregnant long before four months. If you can't make your mind up before that, before the baby is considered to be pain-capable, um there's there's no excuse for you to say i want to have an abortion after that period of time um but we we do have to look at this from a standpoint of here's where our moral you know stand is and here's where our political stand is what can we do dr piper said it 30 some thousand babies per year can be saved if we agree to a no ab- abortion after 15 week or i think he said 16 week which would be 4 month uh ban because that's how many uh, are born every year, or are aborted every year after 16 weeks. Let's let's find a number. Let's find something upon which people can agree to make life-saving as many babies as we can our priority, rather than the, you know, the moral high ground upon which we really feel like we sit and saying no abortions anywhere ever. Jan is in Greater Cleveland. Hi, Jan. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. You know, uh, what isn't mentioned very much is that morally responsible people are supporting the abortion industry, and that's kind of outrageous. People who are responsible and moral uh, are paying for men to go out and have a good time and not care, and uh, women who figure that's their right and the government, you know, the government paid for, uh, well, I don't know how much. I don't know how that works where uh, abortions are paid for, but we are supporting, that's wrong, that you should be supporting uh, taxpayer dollars. Taxpayer dollars are not supposed to be used for abortions. They do go to abortion facilities, and you know how that argument goes. The Planned Parenthood people say, well, the money we get from the government, which is from the taxpayers, we use for other care. We don't use it for abortions. So that's how they get around it. And we all know that that's trash, but that's what they say. And then uh, as far as, uh, you know, well, we better kill this kid off because he's going to, you know, turn out wrong. Uh, that's what, I can't think of her name right now, the lady who started Planned Parenthood, who wanted to get rid of the black race. Oh, Margaret Sanger. Yeah, Margaret Sanger. 
uh, in a way, I mean, the, the man's heart, you know, I don't want to pick on him, but that was her thinking. You know, we, we've got to uh, uh, abort this because we don't well, want... Well, no, her, hers was a little more extreme, Jan, because hers wasn't, you know, we think that these these black children growing up to be black adults are going to be more violent. Um, uh, her thinking was they were just not worthy of life. Um uh, that they were like weeds. She she compared in some of her writings and some of her speeches to weeds. They need to be weeded out of the rest of the, you know, what is a fruitful garden. Uh, and 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 she didn't just talk about blacks. She talked about other ethnicities and well, other yeah, uh, individuals there, there are... who she considered to be less than worthy of life, just on their own, not because they might be threats to other people later on. Her her um, ideology was far, far more, more perverse than, hey, you know, if we have a child now that doesn't grow up with a father, it's more likely to be involved in crime and end up in you know, harming other people, too. She well, that, was way worse is, than that. That's unfair. Yeah. That, that's not unfair to a human being. You know that's how that's how the Savior came into the world, and when you put it in that context, you know what what did he do? What did he do to uh, raise the human race? And I think uh, education is a big part of this too. So yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about that. And and Jan, thank you for the great points you made, and it's a good a good uh, addition to the discussion. Um, just just briefly. What the previous caller, and I apologize, we keep calling him the previous caller. I can't remember what his name was who called us earlier and talked to Rod, Thank you, uh, Johnny. Roger called us about this. Um, he, he, he brought up, I don't think he was saying this. He was saying this is what the pro-choicers or the pro-deathers say. They call us hypocrites for saying we only care about life before it's born. We don't care about it after it's born. After the child is born, well, if it goes into foster care, if it grows up in a, a abject poverty uh, to a drug-addled mother and an absentee father, it's cruel. But you don't care as long as you have, you know, got that baby born. That's all you care about. And, and, and nothing could be further from the truth, <clears throat> because most of the pro-life organizations that I know, and including and especially the individuals who are part of those organizations, believe in adoption and believe in an expansion of adoption services and are willing to pay taxes to help children and help mothers who are trying to raise their children rather than abort their children to get the things that they need. We're willing to do that. There are a lot of things we don't want to pay taxes for, like killing the babies, but we're willing to do to help those children get an opportunity to get them into decent schools and so on. We don't have that labor of hypocrisy that the left likes to throw at us. We care about these kids, and we're willing to do things about these kids. But their argument is, since the statistics show that children who are unplanned and thus raised by only one parent, always the mom, grow up to be 75% of the runaways, 75% of the prison population, 75%, and the numbers vary, of course, up in those numbers. Some are as high as 80, some are in the 60s. But but all of the drug drug abuse, likely of suicide, likely of overdosing, blah, 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 they're all extremely high compared to par- uh, children who grow up in two-parent households. The argument then becomes, well, why don't we save them that misery? And, as Roger was saying, and I don't think he meant it this way, Save others from being victimized by these soon-to-be criminal lifestyle-having people. Save them all of the trouble and just abort the baby before she before they're born. It's kind of like preventative, you know, thought, thought crime almost. Um, there was a movie called 
It was a Tom Cruise movie, I believe. I think it was Minority Report. I'm trying to remember. It's been maybe 20 years, and it was about they used precognitive people who were able to predict the future and predict when bad things were going to happen so they could be snuffed out at the time. And that included arresting people for crimes they were going to commit in the future because of these precognitive people who could see the future kind of a thing. Well, it's kind of like that with the unborn child. Well, if this child's going to be born into poverty... And with a drug-addicted mother and going to be grown up in a, in a horrific situation where they're going to learn to steal to survive and then learn to shoot and kill to steal to survive, well, maybe it's best if we just not let that child be born. That's not the world in which we live. That is not how we're supposed to treat an innocent life, already judging it to be guilty later in life and thus punish it with the death penalty before they ever have a chance. We can't do that. 10.53, thanks for the great conversation. We'll continue it right after this. Okay, 10.58, I've got time for one quick call here before the top of the hour and before we check in with Dr. Curry Myers about the year in crime in 2022. Jim in West Park is going to fill that spot. Hey, Jim, go ahead. Yes, um, didn't Kamala know that um, they were experiencing near-zero temperatures down along the border? No. She didn't know and she didn't care. That's why she doesn't go down there. Well, it warrants repeating. <laughs> yeah, you know it and I know it. Uh, and so do all of the critics. But they're still going to say it was cruel and inhumane to bring them up to Washington, D.C. in single-digit temperatures uh, and drop them off outside of Cammie's house. Okay, the reason I called, uh, you were talking about the Green New Deal this morning and the carbon yeah. footprint. and yeah. uh, Al Gore got the Supreme Court to accept CO2 as a pollutant. And this is another example about control. Uh, Without CO2, we wouldn't have life on this planet. We wouldn't have plant and animal life on this planet. If you know anything about our atmosphere, it's 79, close to the, close to the, uh, the, the soil surface, 79% nitrogen, 20 21% 21% oxygen and a very small percent CO2. So there, I there are more and more scientists who are coming out, by the way, and you're right, Jim. Thanks for the call, buddy. Uh, so ever since Al Gore declared the planet has a fever, um, who have come out and completely debunked all of that. But you know what has happened to those scientists through the years? They've been discredited. They've been booted from the scientific community because they're refusing to go along with the agenda. But the truth is out there. The truth is much of what you're saying right now about carbon. Uh, They have made it the boogeyman, and it is absolutely not going to be the difference between the survival and the extinction of this planet, period. Thank you for the call, my friend. We'll take a time out for news, and we'll come back. Always Right Radio, going to talk crime next with Dr. Myers on AM 1420 The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? 
The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Fred on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward we roll, nine minutes after 11 o'clock on this Thursday, the 29th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. So, over the course of the last couple of days this week, we've been listing all of the ways that, uh, or many of the ways anyway, uh, that 2022, the year we're about to slam the door on and never look back, is the worst year on record that we, in many of our lifetimes anyway. Inflation, 40-year high. Stock market, your 401ks and IRAs in the toilet. Supply chain disruption. Moms can't feed their kids. Trucker strikes. Border crisis. A complete invasion of the southern border. Intentional intentionally allowed by our federal government. Human trafficking, massive increases. Schools under siege by leftists pushing CRT and gender theory and stripping parents' rights. Freeing the merchant of death in exchange for a WNBA basketball player who hates America. Record high gas prices, record high energy prices. Mandated shots. No workers to staff restaurants and other buildings. The Green New Deal passing in the form of a mislabeled Inflation Reduction Act. More election fraud. A $1.7 trillion omnibus. All of these just symptoms and components, parts of what has just been an awful year. And it was going to all be remedied, we thought, in November, if we just had a red wave. If we just had our red tsunami, and then we didn't even get that. Just a capper on why this was such an awful year. Well, one other element of that I didn't discuss. We're going to discuss right now. And that's crime. A massive spike in violent crime in cities all over this country. Urban centers mostly. But it's time to look back at 2022 in the year in criminal justice. Joining us now is criminologist, university professor, and retired sheriff, Dr. Curry Myers. Dr. Myers has been with us before. He's a criminal justice advisor for Americans for Prosperity. Joins us now to talk about the year in crime and what is to come. Dr. Myers, good morning. Good to have you. How are you? Oh, it's great to be here. Merry Christmas, uh, Happy New Year, and thanks for having me. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, I can never uh, accept the Happy New Year with more sincerity than I will this one, because I want this year to end, and I want it to end quickly, because it has been, I believe, as bad as I just introduced. But let's talk about this from your perspective now, because you've got a 2022 end-of-year report on criminal justice. Most of us have watched soft prosecutions from largely George Soros-funded left-wing activist prosecutors, left-wing judges giving no-cash bail to violent criminals, setting these people free to go out and commit uh, recidivist acts as well, committing more uh, violent crimes. We've all seen the stories. We've all seen individual cities from, uh, excuse me, individual statistics from some of the cities. But you've got the numbers overall. Tell us about 2022 and violent crime. Well, and interesting uh, enough, uh, your lead-in to uh, my coming on, when you talked about all the economic issues and 
some of the societal issues, those actually um, adversely affect the human psyche and and actually and have a have a, a negative effect on crime as well. So all those things, we're 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 in a perfect storm, uh, and I've written about this before that we're we're arriving into a perfect storm of criminality with all of the all of the various things that are occurring in our lives. But with the last ten years, this last decade, we've actually seen violent crime has has climbed to twelve percent across in U.S. cities, with murder increasing twenty six percent. Rape 38% and aggravated assault 29%. And I might add that it's over this last decade, but the last three years is what's really been affected. It's, uh, 2020, 2021, and 2022 are the ones that have really escalated all these things. Um, motor vehicle theft has risen by 48%, um, in the last decade. Um, Philadelphia right now has a 400% increase in carjackings philadelphia 400 percent increase in carjackings and a lot of those carjackings are what's done uh, what what is now referred to as mob robberies where multiple cars multiple individuals will end up committing crime um, whether it's carjackings whether it's robberies or whether it's uh, burglaries in retail stores um, detroit led the nation both murder and rape in 2020 Seattle had the most reported burglaries, and Memphis, Tennessee had the most larceny theft incidents. Um, but it's not just uh, big cities. We have smaller cities. If you look at city populations between 100,000 to about 250,000, two Louisiana cities have the highest murder rates, Baton Rouge and Shreveport. Um, and similar sized California cities, Richmond and Hayward, um, were top of the list for motor, um, for motor vehicle theft. Um, the murder rate in small cities. I apologize, Dr. Um, Myers. Out of curiosity, yep. um, because you're doing rates now, not just raw, because raw numbers, I see the top 10 murder capitals that you wrote, Chicago, yep. Philadelphia, New York, L.A., Houston, these are the massive populations. This is expected. Uh, but when right. we get into rates, where does Cleveland fall? Because um, it's my understanding Cleveland is pretty doggone high in terms of per per capita murder. It is. It's it's high as well. It's increased over last year. Um, um, it. It did not make the list as as far as the top ten, uh, okay. but it it continues to struggle. I said the biggest percentage increases in homicides over 2021. San Antonio, Texas had 67 percent. Colorado Springs 64 uh, percent. Virginia Beach, uh, Virginia 43 percent. Orlando, Florida 33 percent. So even places like Little Rock, Arkansas had 25 percent increase. Um, um, I wonder if you murders. can provide some context as to what all of this means, particularly when we get back to the national numbers. You said on average, violent crime has increased 12%, murder increasing 26%, rape 38%, ag assault 29%. When I, when I think about crime statistics, Dr. Myers, I, I, I kind of think if, if crime went up, violent crime in any one of those categories, 4% year over year, I'd think, man, that's, that's pretty significant. If it went up 8%, I'd be like, holy cow. That's pretty high. I mean, because we're talking about some massive numbers here. But we're talking about not 4%, 5%, 8%, 26%, 38%. These high double-digit numbers, uh, Dr. Myers, indicate, I mean, something something incredible, I think, for this culture and for this country, and I don't know what it is. I don't know how I can put my finger on it. With your 35 years in law enforcement and criminology, what do those massive increases mean? 
I think the first thing from a cultural, we've had um, societal illnesses that have continued to, I, I call them societal contagions, mm-hmm. that we've reduced the impact of family, faith, and formation in our lives. We're no longer serving something better than ourselves. I think all of us were taught in the past that, that yes, we're individuals, but we're supposed to look at other people and, and, and ultimately serve others um, more than we serve ourselves. And that includes, you know, we've lost our ability to to have a faith life anymore. We don't have good formation. Um, and when I say formation, I don't just mean in our schools, which are failing, at least the public schools, but uh, family formation. The, the most important factor for people when they have children is the formation of that child at the or at the early ages, even before they go to school. And then the uh, the breakdown of the nuclear family, um, a strong a strong husband, a strong wife, um, a strong marriage together, and you share that with the children. Um, we've we've had significant breakdowns in those areas. So those are the those are the cultural issues that are occurring. But the other issues is we've taken our we've tried to change a criminal justice system. Before before we go to, to the criminal improved. justice system, Doctor Curry yep. Myers, um, let me just follow up on what you just said. Um, those those things that you just described are often now in 2022 America, it's they're demonized as being whiteness. Um, not everything has to come down to race, but many things do. And this is one of the things they have done. Everything you just said about family formations and everything about mothers and fathers staying together and raising their children together and so on, those are just called whiteness. Um, and, and, and they're frowned upon because what you are saying is that you cannot live and be successful uh, and be happy and healthy and prosperous unless you do things the white way. And whiteness is something that has been targeted in higher uh, uh, institutions of higher learning for extinction, for extermination. We cannot we cannot allow white uh, supremacy, which they can then color as white privilege, and then just kind of overall color as whiteness to dictate how we live in order to survive. H- how do we how do we how do we respond to that mentality and that mindset and have success? Well, it's difficult when we're operating in a world of feelings and not facts. The facts dictate, if you look at, I'm a big believer in empirical data. I'm a big believer in evidence-based policing. If you look at the evidence, um, there are, there are causal associations with the reduction of faith, family, and formation in people's lives that, that, that means that they start living a life that where they are not serving something greater than themselves and ultimately it's easier from a moral point of view, to commit crimes against others um, or to commit crimes in general. And so we, we right now, we're living in a, in a society where feelings have become more important than facts, and we need to bring the facts back up. And, and in my opinion, we need to stick the facts as much as we can in front of people uh, so they understand, and this is why I think transparency and accountability in law enforcement is so important. We need evidence-based policing where the, where the people of the community, you just ask about Cleveland. You should know what those stats are as a citizen of Cleveland. The police department should have those stats in real time and, and be able to take manpower and labor resources and direct it, often like Comstat was done in New York City in the early 90s under Mayor Giuliani, and, and Chief Bill Bratton, they were able to take information in real time, and this is a long time ago and as far as technology is. Today we have a better ability to have facts and data right in front of us 
make decisions on utilization of labor resources and manpower and actually show the public, hey, this is where crime's going on right now in this sector of the city. This is exactly where it's going on, and we're going to allocate resources to this area, and it's based on evidence. It's not there's, and, and when you base things on evidence, it's easier to mitigate allegations of racism mm-hmm. or wokeness. And we're not using data, and we're not using information to support and actually convince people that this is why we are going to do what we're going to do. And if you don't, then people are going to, they don't have the information in front of them. So we have to do a better job in being transparent and accountability with all of our crime stats. There's some cities that don't even respond in a timely manner to the FBI with stats. Yeah, and that's that's that, that's a that's a yeah that's horrible. Um, Dr. Curry Myers is my guest, Ph.D., MBA, thirty-five years professional experience in law enforcement and in criminology. Dr. Myers, you mentioned the word manpower, and so I got to bring that part up. Uh, you know, I, I talked about left-wing DAs and talked about soft judges and giving light sentences and so forth. But let's just talk about the prevention of crime, or at least the response to crime uh, in, in policing here in Cleveland. We are some 300, this is just the city of Cleveland Police Force, some 300 officers under budgeted staffing levels. That means the money is there. It's in the budget, and they can't fill the jobs. More are retiring, leaving, transferring to other departments because they don't want to have to answer to things like uh, civilian review boards who think they can make uh, decisions over the course of weeks that an officer has to make in a quarter of a second and, and second-guess them and judge them on this, putting either their careers or their lives on the line. I mean, we all know the drill, uh, anti-policing, defunding policing, abolishing policing, something that has been called for by anti-police activists in uh, Congress and beyond. What kind of an impact do you think that's really having on these crime stats that we're quoting? It's had a huge impact. Um, PERF um, recently found out, which is an organization that looks at, at, at police executives and does a lot of research, has indicated that there's resignations are 43% higher um, presently than in the past. We have retirements are 24% higher than in the past. Hiring has been down significantly. The ability to recruit is now significant where some departments are having to be like, even some chiefs are being like football coaches where they have to have signing bonuses and promises. Some are paying for people to even fly in and take the tests, which was never happened before. When I started out as a state trooper, um, I was one of over 500 applicants for um, 25 positions that were open. I was very blessed to be able to be one of those 25, but there was 500 people that I was going against for those 25 positions. Um, organizations today are lucky to be able to fill attrition ratings with their departments. So that means the retiring rate and the departure rate is higher than people coming into the to the organization. The big issue that I'm seeing also is that we have early retirements mm-hmm. and we have officers that are actually leaving the job. Um, this is where they put into retirement, but they are they're leaving the job prior to retirement with 10 or 15 years on, which means there's going to be a significant void in police leadership over the next decade because um, learned, very advanced field officers are not going to be there to train young officers and be mentors to them in the near future. Um, so 
We're going to have to rely more on technology as a result. We're going to have to rely more with um, less complicated policing strategies as a result. And that's not necessarily a good thing. No, it's not. Uh, and Dr. Curry Myers, last thing I've got for you. Uh, you're old enough to remember Johnny Carson. Not a lot of uh, people are anymore. Uh, oh, put yeah. on your Put on your Karnak uh, hat, if you would, and tell me what's going to happen in 2023 in violent crime. Is there any reason to think we won't see more double-digit increases, that we'll see anything go back uh, to some semblance of uh, you know law and order in these communities? 2023 is going to be a year of struggle. Um, uh, again, I try to write about this on my Substack, drcurrymyers.substack.com, but I believe that perfect wave that I spoke about earlier is, is happening at the end of this year, and we're going into 2023 with the same issues. We're still having police recruiting issues, so there, that, that can't be turned on the dime. We're still having violent crime. We still have woke prosecutors that are not prosecuting people to the fullest extent. We still have bail lacks bail reform in many cities it's gotten better some are starting to push back but it's but it but it still is a problem we're not focusing on violent crime we need to do that we don't focus on recidivists like we used to 63 percent of prisoners that are violent offenders released will reoffend in the first three years of their release it goes up to 71 percent within the first five years if you're under the age of 25, it goes up to 80% will reoffend. It's not difficult to understand data. It's not difficult to target criminal justice resources where they need to go, but it needs to be based on facts instead of feelings, and we still live in a woke feeling society. Dr. Curry Myers is America's criminologist. That's what it says right on his substack. Uh, I want to spell that for people. Curry is C-U-R-R-I-E. Myers has no E in the middle. It's just M-Y. E-R-S. So C-U-R-R-I-E-M-Y-E-R-S, drcurrymyers.substack.com. You can read about this uh, report on 2022's crime rates and much, much more on the Crime and Society newsletter that Dr. Uh, Myers puts out. Doctor, I appreciate all the information. It's uh, it's very important that we know this. I wish more and more cities would pay attention to it the way we are and respond accordingly and uh, try to change their policies. But the first step is knowing the statistics, and we appreciate you sharing those with us. Appreciate you getting the word out. Thanks, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, Happy New Year to you. 1126, time out now. We're going to get to our news, and we're going to come back, and we're going to have time for a few more phone calls before we get to Bill O. taking us to the top of the hour right here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. Onward and upward. It's 11.36. So we've got about 10 minutes left or so of Always Right Radio for this Thursday, the last Thursday of 2022 that will be on the radio. Second to last day of 2022 will be on the radio. And FYI, a little program note, we will not be on the radio live on the first day of 2023. As obviously, uh, or the second for that matter, because uh, Sunday is, of course, New Year's Day, and uh, Monday will be the federally recognized holiday, and Monday we will be off, give the crew and the staff and everybody an opportunity to get themselves set for the start of 2023. So we'll have a best of show for you on Monday. So I want to uh, I want to share this with you because you know as I've talked for the last few days about the list of things that make 2022 such a devastatingly bad year 
for so many of us, if not all of us. I want to share with you uh, one more, and that is the fact that Joe Biden and uh, Jill Biden and CDC Director Walensky and Anthony Fauci and the rest of them continue, even though what they call the COVID pandemic is over, according to Biden himself. They continue to push these profit darts on you. They're on TV, they're on radio, they're online, telling you how important it is to get the jab. Mandates are still in effect for students at universities, colleges. Mandates are still in effect for many health care systems and employers. Mandates are still in effect for federal employees and uh, contractors who, who do business with the federal government. They continue to mandate what they call vaccines, which are not vaccines, which are experimental toxins, experimental RNA. This is what messenger RNA is. Uh, these experimental shots that they call vaccines, that I call uh, poison darts, uh, continue to be pushed, even at the end of 2022. And I thought I'd share with you something from back a little bit earlier in the last century. 1976, I was nine years old in 1976. And you may or may not recall the swine flu epidemic or the threat of an epidemic that they were dealing with then. But 60 Minutes does. Mike Wallace, on 60 Minutes, did this file. It's only a minute long. It's a minute-long report, clip of a report, reminding you that what the current CDC and the NIH and the Biden administration are doing to us, experimenting upon us with these drugs that they continue to push, these messenger RNA uh, non-vaccine vaccines, this isn't the first time they've done it to us. It isn't the first time they said the trials will be the massive American population. Rather than long-term, randomized, controlled, randomized trials being done to see what impact it will have on volunteers, they jammed drugs without people knowing it into the arms of, of 46 million Americans who didn't have any idea what they were taking. This is not the first time. The federal government has done this before. Listen to this 60 Minutes report in 60 seconds as Mike Wallace talks with former CDC director David Sensor, circa 1976. You began to give flu shots to the American people in October of 76. October 1st. By that time, how many cases of swine flu around the world had been reported? There had been... Uh several reported but none confirmed there had been cases in uh, uh, Australia that were reported by the press uh, by the news media there were cases in uh, none confirmed giving the public all the information it needed about the swine flu shot this form stated that the swine flu vaccine had been tested what it didn't say was that after those tests were completed the scientists developed another vaccine And that was the one given to most of the 46 million who took the shot. That vaccine was called X53A. Was X53A ever field tested? Uh, I I can't say I would have to. uh... It wasn't. And there you have it. 
I hope that was simple and succinct and easy to follow. The CDC, which we are supposed to defer to now as the ultimate authority on all things health, the ultimate authority on whether or not we should take a jab into our arms to fight off coronavirus, COVID-19, even though coronavirus, COVID-19, does not and is not repelled by these mRNA shots. They have since admitted it after declaring that they would absolutely stop you from becoming infected. They had to admit the truth that it does not. But they didn't test these long-term on anybody. The test is going on right now. If you are jabbed once, twice, thrice, or four times or more with boosts, you are in the Petri dish. You are the experimental subjects for the federal government. And this isn't new. The CDC has been doing this all along. They do it in 2020, 2021, and 2022, and they did it in 1976. They developed a a flu vaccine for the swine flu that they tested and said it's good to go. And then when it came time to put those shots into the arms of 46 million Americans, they didn't. They put a different shot into the arms of 46 million Americans to see what would happen. They experimented on the population. And this is the CDC we're supposed to trust? This is the CDC that going forward we're going to listen to about infectious diseases? We are being lied to, and the, 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 um, uh, the CDC is absolutely responsible for the experimentation of unproven and drugs that have no... Even, even beginning to be able to understand what the side effects are going to be. Not only are they unproven in terms of their effectiveness for what they are created, but what the long-term side effects will be. This isn't new. They've done it before, and damn well better believe they will do you it again. You began to give flu shots to the American people in October of 76. October 1st. By that time, how many cases of swine flu around the world had been reported? There had been uh, several reported, but none confirmed. There had been cases in uh, uh, Australia that were reported by the press, uh, by the news media. There were cases in... uh, None confirmed. None confirmed. No confirmed cases of swine flu. But they created the panic anyway. ...the public all the information it needed about the swine flu shot. This form stated that the swine flu vaccine had been tested. What it didn't say was that after those tests were completed... The scientists developed another vaccine, and that was the one given to most of the 46 million who took the shot. That vaccine was called X53A. Was X53A ever field tested? Uh, I, I can't say. I would have to. Uh... It wasn't. The CDC director couldn't say if the shot they gave 46 million American people had been tested. It's not that he couldn't say, he wouldn't say, because he knew they used the population as guinea pigs. And guess what? They're still doing that today. 2023 can't get here fast enough. Not sure how much of that will change by then, but that's the only thing we can look forward to. Tomorrow is our last broadcast of the calendar year. Thank goodness. We look forward to talking to you then. Make sure you join us. Be well, be safe, and stay free. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Let's go, Brandon.